I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. With news last month that Visa and MasterCard had paused a plan to track gun purchases, and last year's SCOTUS decision that struck down a New York law that put restrictions on concealed firearms used for self-defense, conservatives seem to be winning on the gun issue. In fact, more women and minorities, and even some progressives, are buying guns for self-defense. The Wall Street Journal reported in 2021 that during the COVID pandemic, gun sales soared, and more than half of those buyers were women. Joining my colleague Mike Watson and me today is Diana Muller, the founder of DC Project, a woman-focused guns rights nonprofit in DC with chapters all over the country dedicated to fighting for the constitutional right to self-defense. Hi, Diana. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. So um, you are a friend of someone that we uh, like and respect quite a bit who's been working with us, Callie Fontanella, or Nia, right? Yes. And um, she kind of recommended that we should reach out to you, which, and I had not heard of your nonprofit. So tell me about, first of all, I wanted to ask you, is it actually based in D.C.? Um, no, okay. ma'am. So tell us about um, DC Project, what it is, how you got started, when you got started, and what your goal is. Okay. All right. Well, I am a retired police officer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that's where I was when I started it. Um, And as a police officer and turned a hobby of shooting into another career, I'm now a considered a professional competition shooter in three gun rifles, pistols, and shotguns. And it was during, you know, the, that evolution of retiring from police department and getting more and more into the firearms industry that I started paying attention to all of the horrible attacks on, on gun ownership and gun owners. So, um, and then really, I call this a God moment because I had absolutely zero intentions on starting an organization. Um, I, I have no special skills in doing what I'm doing. I just was sitting in uh, my legislator's office at the request of one of my friends. She knew that I was uh, in the Washington, D.C. area for two matches, like on a bookend weekends. And during the middle of the week, we tried to go out and do some touristy stuff. And she said, do you want to meet your legislator? And I said, I was totally apathetic about it. But I thought it was kind of her to ask. And I took the meeting with my husband and then another couple of professional shooters. And it was during that meeting I said, hey, is there something that we should be doing to help educate the people in this building that are making some really horrible misinformation? Um, you know, they're just they're not educated on the subject and they're making laws that affect us all in a horrible way. So it was from there that I, I, you know, I started looking into advocacy, honestly, is like, could, can, can, a, can a citizen just go make an appointment with their legislators? And by golly, you mm-hmm. can. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, I realized I only had standing in Oklahoma where I was from at the time and I would need other people. So I started kind of reaching out to my shooter friends And then I realized there weren't really 50, you know, one shooter in every state, female shooter. I knew the female voice was going to be a little bit stronger because it breaks that stereotype. Uh, No offense, Michael, but um, 
that, you know, they, they want to dismiss gun ownership as the stereotype of old, white, redneck, whatever it may be, but it's very far from the truth. And so that's how it started. Um, we, we, I started gathering one woman from every state to go to Washington, D.C. and meet their legislators. But now it has grown into a full-fledged organization that we have uh, state directors in most of every state. And um, we just try to do what we can to, you know, there's a lot of groups that use the female voice to call for more gun control. And I really feel like that's, we have hit our stride in countering that voice encountering that visual. Um, so if you know of groups like Moms Demand Action or Brady or Students Demand Action, you know, they're very visible with their red shirts, their orange shirts. And um, we have a teal shirt that says educate, not legislate on it with some AR-15s. And I think it's really important for the, our communities to see and hear a different perspective. Yes. Awesome. And I'm going to throw this over to Mike in just a second. But one of the things that I'm kind of interested in uh, about your group is this idea that, you know, people that buy and own guns, it's just kind of this haphazard thing. As I looked at your state chapter leaders, almost all of them are basically range, you know, experts, rifle experts, shooting experts, competition shooters. So, um, and I, I love that your t-shirt says education on it. Um, and it looks like that's really what you're talking about. I think people that are on the left and in some of those groups that you mentioned, one of the things that they I think often miss. Maybe they know it, maybe they don't. But if you've been around people who shoot, you know, they're very, most of them are very well trained. They get trained. Can you speak to that? Well, I think the major misconception, and it's an intentional misconception on the media's part in trying to portray and, and demonize gun owners, is that we don't mm -hmm. care. Um, I can't speak to, you know, the majority of gun owners having the level of training that I do. I'm sure that's not the case. Um, but, but I, what I can tell you is that the majority of the gun owners that I know, I just went to NRA a couple of weeks ago, and I can tell you that they're all kind of cut from the same cloth and they're very good, decent people and will give you the shirt off their back. And I think that's what is sad about the, um, the demonization of gun owners is that these people who listen to, I call it the matrix all the time, you know, they're plugged into the matrix and they listen and they believe without having any experience of their own or any education of their own, uh, what guns and gun owners are. So how, and how it's, do you uh, work, it's totally, how do you work around that? Uh, and, and put on the, maybe the true face of the firearms community, as opposed to the, uh, the image that's being given to them by all the various press outlets that we could name if we wanted to. Well, you have to be brave and we start an organization or just, you know, we use the hashtag do, doing something because we are doing something. Our industry does do something to counter suicide. They do do something to educate people about proper firearms, uh, education and training. Uh, so, I've testified a couple of times and, and the antis just completely disregard what our industry has done, um, to help people, um, be, be good, uh, lawful gun owners. 
and and address some of the issues that come with, you know, hash or quotes, gun violence. So you just have to continue to realize that it, it's important for us to have conversations with our friends, our families, our communities, our legislators. It, it, you have to do it. These days in cancel culture, they have conditioned us to shut up and to be scared and to be canceled. And I, my position is, is that you just have to take that chance. You have to stand for the truth, regardless of what the backlash is. So, so let me ask you something. One of the arguments, I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit. I saw an argument the other day on Twitter. Someone made this argument that um, you have the right to self-defense constitutionally, but you don't have the right to own a gun, which I thought was an extremely interesting argument, given that, you know, if you bring a knife to a gunfight, you're you're not going to be very um, adept at self-defense. And then it started to occur to me that, you know, there is no way to eradicate the gun, even if all law abiding citizens gave them up. Of course, there would be a, a criminal element that would never. So how do you respond to I mean, that's sort of an, the point I'm making is that's an irrational argument. How do you respond to that kind of irrational argument? Well, I don't I'm not following where they think that you don't have a right to own a firearm, because that's kind of what the 27 words in the Second Amendment are. <laughs> are, uh, you know, guaranteeing that the government will not infringe upon that right. But you're right. It's, um, oh, I was going to go down another another vein, and I can't remember where I was going to go. So your original question was when they ask that they can't. Uh, you know, you don't have the right. To, you, you have the right to defend yourself. You don't have the right to own a gun. And if you, if you're met with, if, if the fight involves a gun, there's no, really no way to defend yourself against it unless you are also armed. And so how do you respond to those kinds of irrational arguments coming from the left from groups like Moms Demand Action and people like that? Because they do make some some rather sort of ir- illogical arguments. Um, and it's it's always, you kind of just want to roll your eyes at them, but we're in a situation <laughs> now where you know, healthy debate is maybe coming back a little bit. So how do you respond to those things? Well, and that's um, totally, you have to get out there. And when I engage with those ridiculous comments, A, I know that that person is probably untouchable, but I will occasionally engage on social media and try to counter their their ridiculousness because somebody else might be watching and listening and, and reading that that thread between the two of us and they get to basically be the judge of what they think is reasonable. And so if they hear my points, I put my points out on these liberal pages. Um, somebody, I might be touching somebody. I may not touch the person that I'm actually, you know, who's going to turn around and call me, uh, all sorts of names and, um, and, and completely dismiss me. And, um, I may not touch that person, but I can definitely, I, I believe that I touch people, you know, they can like your comment. So a lot of times I get my comments are liked. So I know that people are reading them and kind of agreeing with what I'm saying and maybe hopefully bolstering them to have the same kind of conversation or have them pause uh, from that matrix that they're plugged into saying, you know what, that, that makes more sense because if you're right, if you completely dismissed firearms, there were no firearms on earth, evil is still going to exist. 
And the stronger person that is has evil in their heart will inflict their, their will upon the smaller and the weaker. And the firearm is the great equalizer. So I don't know how people walk through this world without a firearm, honestly. I feel so confident and safe um, moving around. I can be a little bit more friendly. I can put myself out there a little bit more. I can stop and help somebody change a tire uh, because I know I'm not going to get scooped up and thrown in a trunk Mm -hmm. without some sort of resistance. Um, You know, (laughs) there's things like that. So I just wish that, you know, we could have an audience and and truly a genuine conversation that is um, intellectually honest with the people who hate our guts. So Mike, let me ask you as a man, because DC Project is is really women focused, uh, which I love personally, um, for obvious reasons. Um, And I do shoot myself. So um, I really love a group like this. But as a man, Mike, um, what do you think of a group like, what do you think of more women buying guns? Like, what, what, how, what do you think about that? I, I'm not sure what your position is. I think yeah, you're a second I'm, amendment proponent, but I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm, wondering I'm, what you think. I'm pro second amendment, but I'm not a gun owner and I didn't come from a family or I, uh, I didn't grow up around guns. My family didn't hunt. Uh, my parents were military, but they were military medical. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, it just kind of wasn't a thing. Um, so, but like, I, I recognize, uh, you know, there, there was a, back in around 2000, there was a show on the history channel back when it did history, uh, called tales of the gun. And there was a, it, it had this opening monologue, uh, that basically, you know, cause this was, it, it's, it's really weird thinking about it now because as bad as the gun control people are today, even 20 years ago, and I was just sort of first becoming aware of politics, they were a lot stronger. And 10 years before that, they were even stronger still. And 10 years before that, they were even stronger still. Even though in some ways, you know, gun rights have been constrained. But, you know, in 1990, it was a near majority position to ban handguns. In 1994, it was bipartisan legislation to ban, quote unquote, assault weapons. Uh, right. So in 2000, there's the show and it, you know, there's, so there's this big throat clearing monologue about, you know, this is why we're talking about guns on the history channel libs. Um, and it was that, and the, the, the long and the short of it, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact wording now, uh, was that the, a firearm confer- confers moral responsibility because of what it can do. And so that, that, that's always been my position. I mean, you know, Diana, it makes sense why you would not understand how I go around without carrying a firearm because you've had a gun on your hip for over 20 years. You right. know, you, you know how they work, you know how to properly hold, you know, how to properly, uh, you know, do everything that, that that involves. You know, I've gone shooting a couple times with a friend who owns guns. He had to show me like, this is where the magazine release is. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> Um, and if you don't know what you're doing, you can hurt yourself really, really badly. Uh, right. So, well, I also know the evils that, you know, I've seen so many different people in so many different bad situations. And I mean, anybody can watch what are those crime channels. So it's just like that, that's where, you know, and there's, there's a lot of things that people can do without carrying a firearm to understand predatory behavior. And those are the kind of things that I wish, 
you know, everybody on the face of the planet understood that and were, were told how predators, whether they be in the wild or whether they be uh, human and your next door neighbor, uh, predators behave. And there are things that we can do to teach our kids and teach our families on how to be safe without carrying a firearm. Uh, but yeah, I feel comfortable. I feel, I feel comfortable because of my background and the lens that I look through this with. And, and I just know that I couldn't feel comfortable. I have been disarmed, uh, you know, going into certain places and I feel so vulnerable. Um, and, and it, it, that's just why I'm just like, wow, I, I just don't know how people do it, but people don't have the same lens that I have or the same experiences and, and expertise. But, but, what, I, but what I recognize that a lot of that the people who are anti-gun don't recognize is that, you know, you should have, you should absolutely have the right to, to, to carry for yourself. Uh, because I know that unless something, you, you know, that the odds that you or another, uh, you know, another lawful gun owner is going to hurt me are approximately zero. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, Sarah, you originally asked, you know, what do I think as a man about more women owning guns? I have no problem with it. You mm -hmm. know, from a, you know, from an advocacy perspective, to the extent that it is encouraging people to take responsibility for themselves, take responsibility for their families, to take, you know, to um, take responsibility uh, beyond, you know, rather than just waiting for the state to come in and intervene on their behalf, I think it's right. a good thing. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate people that are like you that aren't necessarily gun owners and um, Sarah, you mentioned early on that, you know, most of us look like we're shooters. Well, we have, we have people that aren't necessarily, you know, competitive shooters or are, they're not in that vein. They're kind of in the freedom vein. Uh -huh. So we have, uh, one of my state directors is, uh, Cheryl Todd out of Arizona and she is, she'll, you know, she'll tell you that she's not necessarily, um, in the hands-on vein, but she is all about liberty and she's all about freedom and she, she does, she does a fantastic job. So I appreciate those people that can think independently of like not having a gun and still agreeing with the securities that it provides through the second amendment. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, uh, yes, it is interesting talking to someone who's like, I don't really, it's not really my world, but you know, I, I'm a, I believe you have the right to to defend yourself. And some, the reason I asked Mike that question was something that you said, Diana, which I've heard before. Um, I know a lot of shooters and a lot of men who shoot, former military, and they that expression, it is the great equalizer, is something they talk about a lot. It is actually something that women um, who are attacked have so much a much better chance of surviving or defending themselves if they carry. And that's, I think, something that's uniquely um, something women understand. It's not to say that men can't be attacked and, and all of that, but women walk through the world feeling a, a certain vulnerability that I'm not sure most men understand. So um, it is, I think, a great equalizer. Well, and one of the things that the Matrix will not ever tell anybody and actually are working hard to prevent people from knowing is that 2 million, there's an estimated 2 million saves per mm -hmm. year. So if you step back and you look at that, hmm, you know, let's say 40, 45,000 gun related deaths a year, but you're looking at the 2 million saves. 
So it's it's a pretty disingenuous deal that, to say that those 2 million lives don't count, but these 45 million lives are the ones that should disarm America. So uh, the CDC, I don't know if you know this, but the CDC recently removed that study from their website. And there were some emails that were exposed between um, an anti-gun group and the CDC saying that, you know, you need to dig that up, kill it, bury it dig it up again and bury it. It's, I, I, for, I, for you know, one, am the, shocked, shocked to discover that the CDC would be interacting with a political-aligned <laughs> organization uh, in the furtherance of the agenda of the administration. Shocked. Crazy. Well, let us console you, Michael. Let us console you. So um, I feel like I would be uh, irresponsible not to bring up, of course, the thing that everyone's talking about uh, in the gun debate on the left, which is, you know, these mass shootings that are happening um, that have been happening. Um, you know, we had another uh, guest not very recently, uh, Larry Correa, um, who, uh, you know, is an author and he's written a great book, um, the name of which escapes me at the moment. In Defense um, but of you the Second Amendment, up. I think it was. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Um, and he was very open about talking about the mass shooting in relation to a lot of what you're talking about, which is the number of lives saved because someone was carrying. Um, but how do you how do you respond since you're talking about intellectually honest debate? How do you respond to that? argument that, you know, people are arming and they're going into schools and shooting children. And I mean, these are awful things that are happening and no one disagrees with that. What do you say to that? Right. I say that it's time to protect our kids like we protect our politicians, our celebrities, our money, other things that mean things to us. And it's totally absurd to me that anybody would say, oh, I don't want an armed guard. I don't want to arm teachers. They've got too much to do. Something bad is going to happen. Uh, those are people who uh, are being manipulated because I do believe that there's an agenda to um, that they need the chaos. They need the mass shootings. They don't want to solve that. They need to disarm us. And in order to disarm us, they need to alarm the citizenry and make them think that this is a solution. So, and it's just, you know, arm the teachers, arm the, Texas just did it, offering them $25,000 more if they want to uh, carry during the school year. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an, uh, that's an actual solution. Uh, saying no to all the real solutions um, just tells you that they don't really care about solving the problem. Yeah. What do you think about that, Mike? You think arming the teachers is the answer? Uh. I think it doesn't hurt if it's voluntary, you know, it, again, it gets right. back, it gets back to my, my statements on comfort. You know, if, if my teacher is Diana Muller, then yes, absolutely. It should be allowed. <laughs> that, it should be allowed that she should be able to carry um, because, you know, Diana knows how to handle her, how to handle a weapon. And if something bad happens, she knows how to handle a weapon. Now, if it's me, you know, where I think it can sometimes get into trouble is when you say, well, let's arm all teachers, you know, a lot of whom didn't grow up with, you know, didn't grow up around guns, don't want anything to do with guns. Right. They, no, I would never more suggest to hurt themselves from mishandling a, a weapon than to help to be, uh, you know, the, the, the helpful hero in a situation if, if everything went wrong. You respond to that, Diana? Right. There are plenty of teachers that are capable and that are prevented from doing that. And and on top of that, you know, schools are gun-free zones. And I know that Congressman Massey is working to repeal that. 
because 94% of all mass shootings happen in gun-free zones. And there's absolutely no reason that a parent shouldn't be able to protect their kids on school property if they're capable, if they're dying a mother. Oh, and, and, and also <laughs> there's, and also there's the, the, I, th- I think the term is general deterrence. If, 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 right. if, if somebody knows that there's a chance that somebody has a weapon, it doesn't matter if any particular individual is carrying. Correct. Right. In other words, it's a, you know, it's a psychological deterrence. Like that's not a, it's, it's what happened in the Nashville case where the police have said there was another location that that uh, shooter was actually plotting to attack, but it wasn't a gun-free zone. And so that's at least the word that's, you know, there's not a lot of information out there, but it was too heavily guarded. And so they went somewhere else. So yes. So that sort of psychological deterrence, I think is important. Well, and that goes to the predatory um, skills that people need to learn how to identify. You need to know those um, things like that, that she's going to look for. He's going to look for something that's vulnerable. Um, If you're not looking at somebody in the the eyes, if they think you're not looking at them, that makes you a nicer target. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up by uh, asking uh, what, have you done at DC Project that you're sort of most proud of? I, I mean, just putting it together sounds like a huge deal. So that's great. But, and what's the future? What are you guys hoping to accomplish? What are on your uh, sort of list of goals? Well, I'm very proud of our accomplishments in that we've testified in front of the Senate, in front of the House Judiciary Committees and other committees uh, several times giving, you know, basically um, our our side, our stories. Some of our women have endured tremendous violence and have lived to tell about it uh, and and that they support firearms ownership because that's where, you know, honestly, a lot of the antis get a lot of their uh, fuel is from people who have been taken advantage of. And they think mistakenly that if guns weren't there, then their bad things would not have happened. But um, where are we going? Uh, You know, until until the attacks stop, and I don't see where <laughs> that they will ever, I just hope that we can continue to build an army of women uh, who can e- educate their own families, their own communities on why gun ownership is is proper and honorable and um, necessary. Very cool. Mike, you have any last thoughts? No, uh, other than I, you know, it, it, it is very interesting uh, you know, to me as sort of a recreational observer of demographic trends to see the increase, you know, this widely reported increase in, you know, women owning firearms in uh, other demographic groups that are not the traditional, uh, you know, older white male uh, owning, owning firearms and getting firearms training. Uh, and, right. and, you know, this, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, and I th- and I think it's a really good development. Very cool. Okay. Well, thank you both for for joining us. Um, Diana, is there anywhere uh, website, Twitter account where people can read more about DC Project and you and and what you guys are doing? Absolutely. It's dcproject.info. I n f o, and they can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It's uh, the DC Project on Facebook. 
And on Instagram, it's DC underscore Project Foundation. All right, cool. Thank you for joining us. And that is our show for this week. Um, next week, we'll be back with something fascinating, new, and interesting. Um, as always, you can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast. And as Mike likes to say, give us that five-star rating because it really helps us get new listeners. All right, we'll talk with you guys next week. Thank you.